Well, good evening. I am certainly glad to be here tonight, and I'm glad you're here tonight. Hope you had a good day, and I want to ask you a question as we get started. I see some grins. Some of you know what I'm about to ask. Did you think about Jesus today? Did he cross your mind? I see a lot of young heads doing this. Very good. You need to think about Jesus every day because Jesus is the source of our salvation. He's what this is all about. We're going to talk about Jesus tonight, something specific that happened in his life. You know, toward the end of his life, Jesus Christ, um, he raised Lazarus from the dead. Now, that was a pretty big deal, as you can imagine, raising someone who was dead up from the dead. And the Bible says that when Jesus did that, from that point on, the Pharisees decided, this guy's going to die. We're going to kill him. We're going to find a way, but we're going to kill him. And we're going to kill Lazarus again, because that was a problem to them to have Lazarus running around, raised from the dead. And from that point on, Jesus has this laser focus in his ministry that he is headed to the cross. He goes up and he talks to the rich young ruler. He goes around and he talks to Zacchaeus on his way back down to Jerusalem. He comes into Jerusalem. There's the triumphal entry where everyone's shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. And they're laying down their clothes and leaves in front of him. And they're going to take and make him a king. And he has some conflict and confrontation with the Pharisees. And then he tells his disciples, he says, guys... I really, really have a strong desire to keep the Passover with you. Now, the Passover was a feast that the Jewish people kept to commemorate the time when they were slaves in Egypt and God came to Egypt to let them free. God came to Egypt to kill the firstborn of all the Egyptians. And when he came to a house of a Jewish person that had blood on the doorpost, God would come and he would pass over that house. And so they called it the Passover. And they celebrated that. And what they would do is the father or the leader of the home would dress in his traveling clothes. And he would... He would get his staff and his shoes on like he was ready to travel. And they would have bread that didn't have any leavening in it so it didn't rise. And they would have a roasted lamb. And they would ask the father, Father, what does this mean? And the father would tell the story about how Moses came to them. And he said, make bread, but don't put leavening in it because we don't have time. And go get a lamb and roast it and take the blood and put it on your doorpost. And they told that story and celebrated the time that God freed them from slavery. Jesus did that with his disciples. He and the twelve in a room. After that, Jesus told them, he said, one of you here is going to betray me. It's interesting when you think about that, because we know it was Judas, right? And I would think that they'd all go, Judas, but they didn't. They all went, Lord, is it me? Is it me, Lord? Jesus told Judas to go do what he needed to do. But before he did that, Jesus took a towel and a bowl of water, and he got down and he washed the feet of his disciples. And he came to Peter, and Peter said, You're not washing my feet. And Jesus said, If I don't wash your feet, you have nothing to do with me. And Peter said, Oh, 
Okay, well, wash my feet, my legs, and all the way to the top of my head then. And Jesus said, no, your feet are enough. And he told the disciples, he said, you don't understand what I've just done for you, but you will later. And when you do later understand what I've done, I want you to do the same to each other. Then the Bible says they sang a hymn. They sang a song. And they went out. They were in this upper room and they went out. And they went to a place where Jesus commonly went to pray. It was a garden outside of Jerusalem called the Garden of Gethsemane. And in this garden, Jesus commonly would go there and pray. And there were olive trees. And when Jesus came to the garden, the Bible tells us that he left most of his disciples on one side of the road. But he came into the garden and he brought three disciples with him. And this is where we will pick up our story this evening. It says, coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives, as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and he prayed. So he told them, he said, I want you to watch and I want you to pray. And he went just about as far as you could throw a rock. And Jesus himself, all by himself, knelt down and prayed and he talked to his father. When he talked to his father, here's what he said. Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Now, if you're a Christian or you've been around Christianity, you know what he was talking about. Jesus is fixing to be crucified. That's coming soon. And when this happened, the Bible says an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer and had come to his disciples... He found them sleeping for sorrow. So Jesus prays, and He prays so intently and desperately. And God sends an angel down to comfort Him. I believe in angels, don't you? An angel came down to comfort Jesus. And He continued to pray, and He was praying so intently that His sweat was like drops of blood. Doctors tell us that that can really happen when someone's under intense stress. You have little blood vessels right below your skin and they can burst and it mixes with your sweat. And it looks like you're sweating blood because there's blood mixed with your sweat. Jesus was under intense pressure here, intense stress. And he was praying so earnestly, he was begging his father. And then he goes back. And you remember, he's over there about as far as you could throw a rock. He comes back over to his disciples. And it's the middle of the night. And they just couldn't stay awake. They were asleep. The Bible says they were sleeping for sorrow. He had told them that things were going to happen. And they were confused. And they didn't really know. They didn't understand. And he wakes them up. He says, can't you just wait with me an hour? And he goes back and he prays again the same thing. And he comes back again and his disciples are sleeping again. And that's when he said the phrase that I'm sure you've heard. 
the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He said, I know they want to stay awake with me, but they just can't. Physically, they can't do that. You know, what we're talking about here in the garden is the culmination of something that began centuries before in a garden when God had created man and woman, placed them in this garden, and they committed the very first sin. And after they did that, God cursed them. But part of that cursing was that there would be a seed of the woman that would someday crush the head of the serpent, which is Satan. And what we look at right here at this moment in time, in this prayer, at this sacred time in the garden, what we're looking at is the culmination of all human history. It's all been leading to this point. In fact, I believe it's fair to look at your Bible and say Genesis through the Gospels are all about what's fixing to happen right now. And from this point on to the end of the Bible is all about what happened right now. You see, this is the center point of human history. We want to talk about what Jesus does in this moment. We want to talk about the prayer that he prays. We want to talk about understanding God and this relationship, this, this private moment. You know, the Bible tells us that Jesus prayed a whole lot, right? Jesus, when he prayed, one of the things that he taught his disciples was he said, when you pray, go into your closet in secret and talk to God in secret. And interestingly, many times the Bible tells us Jesus got up early and went out to the, to the mountain to pray. But we don't know what he said. Wouldn't you love to eavesdrop on some of those prayers? This is one that we get to see. We get to hear the words of Jesus as he speaks to his father. You know, when he spoke to his father, he said, Oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass from me unless I drink it, you will be done. We're going to talk about that submissive will of Jesus Christ. In fact, when I first put this sermon together, I titled it The Agony of Submissive Prayer because sometimes submissive prayer is an agonizing prayer. It's not an easy prayer. It's not a happy prayer. It's not a, yeah, I feel so strong in the Lord. But it's, it's very much the opposite of that. It can at times be very painful and very difficult. Yet it is a fundamentally critical piece of a relationship with God that you and I must learn. When we talk about prayer, what we mean is intentional communication with God. You see, prayer is the way we communicate to God. The Bible teaches us that God communicates to us through His Holy Word, through His Bible. That's the way God tells you what He wants you to do. If you come to a point in your life and you say, I just want to know what God's will is for me, open your Bible. God will tell you what His will is for you. Yet, how do you communicate with Him? You know, no relationship can exist without communication, can it? I have friends that I was real good friends with when we were young that I haven't seen in years and years and years. And you know what? 
Really, not friends anymore. I mean, not that I have anything against them. I just don't know them anymore. We have no relationship because we have no communication. There has to be communication for there to be a relationship. And prayer is intentionally communicating with God. Now, I've got children. I've still got a son that lives at home with me. And he's a little different than his sisters, okay? His sisters, when they go off, when they go off to college or they get married or they move out, about every 15 minutes, one of them calls mom. Hey, mom, 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 mom. And they talk all the time. My son went with me to Nigeria. I was with him day and night for three weeks. He came home. He got in the car to go visit his girlfriend. And he said, see you later, dad. It's the last I heard from him for about a week. He just didn't communicate like the girls communicated. But I tell you something from a dad's perspective. When I come in in the evening or he comes in in the evening, I love for my son to say, Oh, dad, guess what happened today? Now, really, he may tell me something about a video game. And if you hadn't picked up by now, I'm not a big fan of video games because i just too old, I guess. I just don't like video games that much. I really don't care what level he's on in Fortnite or any of that stuff. I, but you know what I love is I love for him to want to tell me. I love for him to tell me what's going on. You know, when you talk to God, one of the interesting things about that is God knows everything you're going to say before you say it, doesn't he? When you come to God and you say, oh, Father, I have had just a terrible day today. He's not up there going, oh, really? What happened? God knows what happened today, doesn't he? God purposefully understands because he was there when everything happened today. But he still wants you to talk to him about it. That's why there's so much in the Bible about prayer and communicating with God. There are three things that really stand out to me about prayer. One is that prayer reveals who you really are. I want you to think back just for a moment to the last prayer you said. Now, I'm not talking about at church or for your supper tonight or something, but the last personal prayer that you said to God. Do you remember? Think about it for a minute. Do you remember what you said? What did you pray about? Did you pray... For health? Did you pray for money? Did you pray for some problem not to show up in your life? Did you pray for spiritual strength? Did you pray for an opportunity to share the gospel with some particular someone? What did you pray about? Did you pray that your life would get easier? You see, what we pray about in those private moments really reveals the kind of person that we are. It reveals what's on our heart. It reveals the things about us. And the reason I ask you to look back and think about the prayer that you prayed is because, you know, sometimes it's hard for us to get an accurate reflection of ourselves, isn't it? Sometimes it's difficult to see ourselves as we really are. And if you will go back and think about the prayers that you've prayed... That'll tell you a lot about what kind of heart you have. And if you find that those prayers are all materialistic, 
that they're all worldly, that they're all carnal. They're about living longer here and having more money here and having things go better here and not having problems here. Then your focus is in the wrong place. If, on the other hand, your prayers are spiritual in nature, that'll tell you a lot about your heart and where your heart is and how your heart is turned. Another thing is that prayer, it's really important for you to know and for you to believe that God answers prayer. In James, he says, If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, gives liberally to all men. But he says, If you doubt... You're not going to receive it. If you doubt God, do you believe God answers prayer? Do you believe that? I do. I want to tell you something that happened to me one time. I was uh, just new in church work, and I was at a church, and, and we had a real bad problem in that church. It was bad enough that we had a meeting and discussed disbanding the, the congregation. It was a really hard, hard time. It looked like the church might split. I didn't know what to do. I was just a young preacher. I, you know, I, I'd been around preaching a lot, but I just didn't know what to do. But you know what I did know? I knew James 1 and verse 5. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally. And I believed that. I believed God would answer my prayer. And I prayed that, and I prayed that, and I prayed that, and I prayed it. And I believed that one day I would get in my car and I would pull up in someone's driveway and I would go, oh, that's what I need to do. I believed that. I really did. It never happened. It just didn't happen. And things were getting worse and I didn't know what to do. I tried studying my Bible about it. So, you know what I did? Is I called my dad. And my dad said, well, let me give you some advice. And I called Joe Richardson, who was an elder of a congregation nearby. And he said, well, here's what I would suggest. And I called Tex Monk, another elder of a congregation nearby. And I called several other men who were wise leaders in God's church. And I asked them for their counsel and their advice. And there seemed to be a consensus, and I followed the advice and counsel of these men. And you know what? It was hard. It was really hard for two or three months. But we did what God told us to do, and the church was saved. And God was glorified. But it bothered me. Personally, it bothered me. And I thought, God, I ask you for wisdom, and you never gave it to me. I ask you for wisdom and you promised and I just don't understand. And I puzzled on that for a long time. And then one day it hit me. You know what? He did answer that prayer. But he didn't answer it the way I expected it to be answered. I expected to have the aha moment. The way he really answered it is he surrounded me with wise counselors who gave me wise counsel from His Word. That's the way God answered that prayer. You see, God does answer prayer, but not always the way you're going to expect that prayer to be answered. Sometimes it's going to come from a place or direction that you're going to go, wow, I never saw that coming. I, it's, wow. Because you're just not going to know. And the truth is, sometimes God says yes, sometimes God says no. 
to your prayers. We find in this instance with Jesus, God says no to His own Son, Jesus, about this prayer. Very painful and difficult, but sometimes His answer is no. Sometimes His answer is later. I'll tell you about it later. Or I'll answer in affirmative way later. A third thing is that prayer changes you. And that's not always true, but it's true when it's the kind of prayer that we're talking about here, this submissive prayer, this prayer that is building a relationship with the Father. Because you see, the prayer is not all about what I'm going to say, but the prayer is about the relationship that we have. There was a a time many years ago that, uh, and I didn't tell Jordan I was going to use this illustration, But Jordan had a real good friend when she was about 15 who was killed in a tragic accident. That was a very painful thing for our family. He had just a few days before that been over at our house. It was a very emotional. I remember it very, very well. And when that happened, my daughter came to me and put her head on my shoulder And wept. She was not asking me to raise that boy from the dead. She was not asking me to fix it. She knew it couldn't be fixed. She wasn't asking me to make it okay. It wasn't going to be okay. She was just sharing her heart and the burden of her heart with me. Her father. Do you understand that? You've had those conversations with your children or your spouse or your parents. And what you do in those moments when you humble yourself to your Father in heaven and you say, I'm broken and I'm hurt and I don't have the answers, but I just want to tell you. I just want to talk to you. I just want to lay my head on your shoulder and cry. When you have that kind of moment, that has a way of changing you. Because what you're doing is you're placing your trust in your father. Another thing that happened when my children were young is there was a point in their life they all got afraid of the dark. And we have a two-story house, and I would tell them, it's time to go to bed, and it was dark up there. And they didn't want to go up there because it's dark. And they would say, Daddy, it's dark. And I'd say, that's okay, go on upstairs. And they'd say, well, 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 Daddy, will you go up there with me? I didn't want to do that. (laughs) But you know what? I would go a lot of times. Sometimes I just made them go. But a lot of times I'd say, come on with me. And I'd go and I'd grab their hand and we would walk up those stairs and we would turn and we would look up into the dark And them holding my hand, together we would walk up into the dark. Now what they would rather is I went up there and turned on the light, and then them go up. But you know what they did is they went up into the dark with me because they trusted Daddy. They knew Daddy could destroy the monster that's under the bed or whatever it was that was the problem to them, right? 
They had trust or confidence in their dad. And because they trusted him, when they asked him for something, they trusted that he would provide what they asked for. And it gave them confidence because of the relationship that we had. Prayer has a way of changing you when you humbly go to God and express to him. So here we have the father and we have the son in this most sacred moment. And I want us to listen in on this prayer and see what Jesus says and and just look at the things that He says. First, He says, Father. Interesting thing here. When you read through your Bible, Israel had talked about God as their Father in a corporate sense, but I've not been able to find any time before Jesus that anyone referred to God is their father in a personal sense, that he's my father. He had this relationship with the father. You see, this wasn't just a corporate thing, but this was a personal relationship with the father. And what he's about to embark on is he is about to open the gate so that you and I can talk to God personally as our father. Do you talk to him that way? Do you say heavenly father or my father in heaven or do you do you ever talk to him like your father? Yes. You know why you can do that? Because of this. Because of what's going on right here, right now at this time. You've got a father and a son having this very very difficult difficult conversation. You know, Jesus has come to His Father at a moment in time that they planned before the foundation of the world. He and His Father had sat before the world was founded, and He said to His Father, yes, I will go and I will die. And His Father said, okay, that's the only way we can save them. But now, now it's here. Dad, they're coming for me. They're on their way, Dad. They're going to beat me. They're going to put a crown of thorns on my head and bang on it with a, with a rod. They're going to spit in my face. They're going to torture me. They're going to hire people to lie about me. And then they're going to hang me on a cross, Dad. I know, I know, I'm not, I'm not saying I won't do it. But Father, Father, if there's some other way, can we look at this just one more time? Because then we're going to be separated, Father. I'm going to take the sins of the world and I won't be with you anymore. Father. He had this angel that came. To comfort him. He needed that because his people, his friends, his disciples had gone to sleep. They weren't praying for him at this time. You think Jesus needed them to pray for him right now? But they failed him. Listen, just a little point I want to gather out of this right now. Don't fail people that ask you to pray for them. There's some people in the church who've left because they were failed by fellow Christians. 
I say in the church, people who've left the church. Because fellow Christians failed them. Don't fail people. Don't fail them. They need you. Jesus asked His, his best friends to pray with Him and to pray for Him and to watch. And they failed Him. So at this point, God sent an angel who comforted him. And then he goes back to his father. Father, if it is your will. Father, I I just want to check this one more time, Father. If it is your will. You know, he has said that it wasn't his will. I want you to think about the irony of this situation. You've got the Godhead... The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Father and the Son are one. And the Son looks at the Father and He says, My will is not the same as yours about this. Wow, what a theological discussion that would create. But He said, If it is your will, take this cup away from me. It's not the Father's will. It's not been the Father's will. Since the beginning, the father's will was for the son to come and lay down his life as a sacrifice for mankind. Jesus knows that. But Jesus says one more time, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. You know, there's no reasoning with God here. There's no arguing. There's no him saying, well, you know, I did live a perfect life and isn't it? No, it's just just words of agony and deep distress, vehement cries and tears. These are all words that the Bible uses to describe how Jesus is at this moment. Have you ever been in agony? You know what agony is? Where your heart is just torn out? Agony. He was deeply distressed. Vehement means passionate cries and tears. Jesus does not go into this lightly. Jesus does not go into this situation going, here's what I came for. Let's get this over with. That's not what Jesus came to this moment with. He came to this moment with brokenness and agony and distress and cries. And he said, Father, if it's your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, nevertheless, you see, here's where we get to the submissive prayer. Up to this point, the prayer is, Father, I don't want to do this. Let this cup pass from me. Father, if it's your will, let's do this another way. But now Jesus is centered. And Jesus says, even though it's not my will, nevertheless, nevertheless, regardless of what I want. Do you ever tell God that? I'm not talking about saying the prayer and at the end say, but thy will be done. Let them be restored to their much wanted health, but thy will be. That's not what I'm talking about. And there's nothing wrong with that phrase. I'm talking about really. I really don't want this, God. I really, really want it different. But I want more what you want than I want what I want. You see, that's submissive will. My greatest will 
is to have my will bend to your will instead of have my will. Does that make sense? Is that confusing? I want what you want more than I want what I want. Does that make sense? you understand what I'm trying to say? That's what nevertheless means. Nevertheless means even though I'm crying vehemently and I've got my, my tears and my sweat is like blood. Even though that's true, I still want what you want more than I want what I want. That's what nevertheless means. He says, nevertheless, not my will. I'll give up what I want. That's the submissive prayer. Not my will. Not what I want. I'm going to tell you, God will not ask you to die for the sins of the world. Jesus already did that. But God may ask you to do some very difficult things in this life. He may ask you to walk through some very painful times. Are you willing to say, not my will, but your will? He said, not my will, but yours be done. That's what I want, Father. And at this moment, he accepts the will of the Father over his own will so completely that in just a few minutes, when they come to arrest him, when Judas, his friend, betrays him with a kiss, and then the soldiers arrest him, and Peter grabs his sword to defend him, Jesus is going to say, Peter, put up your sword. He's going to say, I know... I could ask my father and he would send angels. He would. I don't have to do this. But it's his will. And I'm going to do his will. I'm not going to do my will. You see, he prayed about the cup. I found this picture of a cup. I thought this was... Very fitting, because it was a painful cup. Why did Jesus pray so much about this cup? What was there about this cup that was painful? What was there about this cup that he hated so much? What was there about this cup that was so devastating to him? Well, actually, you know what this cup was? This cup contained... The wrath of the Almighty God on sin. That's what this cup contained. You see, every time you commit a sin, God's wrath is poured out on that sin and there's a drop of God's wrath in that cup. And then you commit another sin and there's another drop of God's wrath in that cup. And another sin and there's another drop. And not just for the sins you've committed... But for the sins that every one of us here tonight have committed. And for the sins of everyone we've ever known have committed. And for the sins of everyone who's ever lived. And I want you to know that cup is filled with the wrath of God. This cup is talked about all through Scripture. This cup of wrath of God. Look at these passages. Ezekiel called it the cup of horror and desolation. Isaiah called it the cup of his wrath and the cup of trembling. And Jeremiah called it the cup of fury. 
And so what you have is a father and a son sitting by a table and sitting on that table is a cup. And the son says to the father, I don't want to drink it. I know we agreed. I know we agreed before the foundation of the world that I'd take that cup. But father, at this moment, I, I don't want that cup. Father, is there any other way? Can we do something else? And the father says to him, listen, I'm not going to make you drink it. But as he slides it across the table, he says, we can't save them if you don't. This is the only way. And it was a moment of of horror and desolation and wrath and fury and trembling as the Son of God said, not my will, but yours. And he reached out and he took the cup and he drank it. He drank the cup of the wrath of God for you. He came and He lived the life you couldn't live so He could die the death that you deserve to die. He took the cup for you and for me. That's what not my will but thine be done means. I'm going to take that cup. I'm going to take it and I'm going to drink it and I'm going to suffer and I'm going to take the fury and the wrath of God on me so they can call my father, father. So they can be a part of my family. So they can be there with us. What a moment. What a time. No wonder this is the central point of the history of the world. Do you want God's will that much? Do you want God's will in your life enough to say no matter how painful and hard and difficult and angry and sorrowful that cup is? Do you love God enough that you will be like this, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to, to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. He suffered for you and he suffered for me. Is it any wonder I ask you to think about Jesus every day? This is what he did. There will be times in your life where it's going to be hard. As I said, God will not ask you to die for the sin of the world, but he may ask you to go through some really tough times, huh? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you have been through those tough times. I want you to know... There is nothing more difficult and painful, but nothing more rewarding in this world than for you to suffer the agony of submissive prayer, total submission. Father, whatever you say, whatever you want, may not be what I want, but I want what you want more than I want what I want. Do you want that? Do you need that? 
Are you ready, maybe for the first time in your life, to really say, I'm not going to do what I want. I'm going to do what you want. And I'm going to make that commitment that till the day I die, even if it costs my life, I will pray, not my will, but thine be done. If we can assist you in fulfilling that prayer tonight, will you come to the front while we stand and sing?